Monday, March 13th, it's episode 42 of the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast in the studio. Ken Bellinger, senior trader, welcome. Good morning. We've got Nick Hillstrom, a trader at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Hey, Danny. Trevor Nargis, senior trader at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Too bad there's nothing to talk about. I, You know, it, this will be a, a short SWAT. We'll wrap it up. I think we can, we can just call it right now. But in reality, no, last week was quite hectic. This week, going to kind of be the same as the market continues to digest the impact of SVB and what's going on there. And Signature Bank uh, in New York was just seized by the FDIC this weekend and shut down. So it'll be interesting to see what happens across the rest of the banking sector. Our CEO, Dave Spano, and our chief investment officer, Derek Felsky, gave a nice little recap of what's going on there and kind of what led to the demise of SVB. And we'll get into that a little more later. But looking at what else is going on this week, uh, we got the Fed meeting meeting today, apparently emergency meeting. Ken and I were just talking about that before we we jumped in here. But other things that we got going on this week, we got some economic data coming in. So CPI, hourly earnings and work week data, you'll kind of see the health of the labor market and get a little bit of a better pulse on it. Then we have PPI and things like Empire Manufacturing and retail sales data. That Empire Manufacturing and the retail sales data will help give us some insight in the overall kind of strength of one, the consumer, but two, what we're looking at from the manufacturing side of things. And it's kind of expected that you're going to start to see somewhat of a slowdown there. Then later on in the week, you got housing data, the Philly Fed index. That Philly Fed index is more of your business outlook, but that's actually expected to improve. Obviously, we'll see. But then going into Friday, we have our Michigan sentiment, leading indicators, and got a little bit of earnings this week, uh, things like Adobe, FedEx, Dollar General. So it'll be busy. We'll see what the market continues to kind of price in. I think a lot of eyes will be on the financials and the banking sector, but it's it's important to kind of stay grounded here and you know not let the headlines kind of drive everything that you're doing. So let's move into it, guys. Here, what do we got for strengths? I think we've talked about this a little bit, but you know, not necessarily a great thing. But uh, inflation has certainly been stronger. If you look at the relative performance of the Nasdaq to the uh, S and P, growth is quickly becoming scarce, and some segments of the market are looking for attractive growth on a, on a relative basis. You know, and the other area is copper. Um, you know, copper has been really strong, which is you know, kind of an early indicator of demand. To be frank, and a lot of that has to do with you know, the Chinese reopening, um, increasing demand, and you know, a lot of. ESG projects and just other, frankly, you know, grid updates and things, coppers, and, and you know, the key input uh, to those sectors. Really, that suggests, you know, inflation could be a bit stickier as indicated because any any small increase in demand is you know, really driving prices higher. So there's still a little bit of, you know, I, if you want to call it systemic inflation in the issue, but a lot of supply chain um, issues that are s- still working behind the scenes. Yeah, it's interesting to see the relationship there, those, those two data points, ISM services and copper are pretty tightly correlated. So that copper movement as of late is suggesting that ISM might might stand to follow. And maybe we'll get a little bit of a of a gauge on that this week, right, with, with CPI and PPI and whatnot. There's parts of CPI that are expected to still be a little strong. So food inflation is still supposed to kind of be chugging its way along. Uh, you have like the Mannheim Used Vehicle Index. That's been moving higher. That's expected to contribute to a possibly higher inflation print. You know, Bank of America is saying that there's probably more upside risk for this latest print. So we'll see what happens. But you also have things like uh, shelter that are set to move up as well. So we'll see, right? Because you got energy coming down, uh, but we'll we'll see how everything kind of coincides with one another. But more or less, the strength is 
you know, like Ken said, not necessarily a great thing, but inflation has been a strength and it's proven to be a little stickier than expected. So we'll see what happens here. Let's pivot into weaknesses, Nick. What do you got? So one weakness that we're seeing is that valuations are staying relatively elevated, even with a low equity risk premium. Right now, the S&P 500 is trading at roughly 18 times price to earnings. And historically, we've seen that bear markets bottom lower than that, roughly at 15 times PE. So this means that investors should be cautious and additional downside could be coming in. T-bill rates are currently above 5%. And historically, this has been pretty bad for equities. In the past 30 years, there's been multiple periods, like at 1990, 1995, 2000, and 2007, where T-bills moved above 5%. And we saw PEs of the S&P fall drastically, reaching this target of 15. Yeah, and so we'll see, right? Because we got something around 15 back in the October bottom. Now, maybe that could have been the bottom. um, But when you look at earnings estimates and kind of the overarching macro backdrop, maybe maybe that wasn't. Maybe you have more of a steady grind here. That's something that we've been talking about on the team and as a committee is that given, you know, maybe the sticky the stickiness of inflation, the Fed determined to really curb inflation as and as a result potentially keep rates higher for longer. You know, I don't want to say who knows, but it's more of a we'll wait and see here. And that goes to kind of our approach of being a little more defensive here. But Nick, like you mentioned mentioned with the equity risk premium that that is a weakness in and of itself we we talked about that um, for a couple episodes now uh, just the equity risk premium where that sits and when you have t-bill yields that are elevated that's naturally gonna kind of increase your hurdle rate or the it's gonna drive up that earnings yield that you need from equities in order to make that risk reward payoff attractive so the higher T-bill yields are and the higher valuations are in the market, that really is going to kind of drive your equity risk premium lower. And typically, stocks are more attractive when that equity risk premium is higher. So we'll, we'll see how things play out, but something to keep in mind for sure. Ken, do you have anything else? Credit exposure within fixed income here. You know, if you if you look at high yield spreads, probably a place you want to be a little bit cautious um, within high yield, just given the, the 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 tightening conditions that we we had been operating under. Now, as we move into this meeting today, perhaps that's a little bit in question. But it's probably a place you'd want to wait out and see what what the Fed's plans are here. But certainly, it's going to be you know, tighter conditions, tough tougher operating environment as we look forward. And you know, high yield being such a you know a higher risk area, frankly, that's a place where you want to be. Uh, you know, perhaps a little bit more active and not necessarily um, straight index, just because there's a lot of companies in that in that high yield area that eventually fail. There's a lot of junk yeah. in those high yield indices. Literally called the junk bonds for a reason. Yeah. yeah. So, it, and that kind of we can kind of pivot into opportunities off of that. I think on the other side of it here, there will be some opportunity where when you do start to see spreads blow out those will get to a point where it might be time to start taking a swing at a high yield. But for now, given kind of the current conditions, suggest being a little more cautious. What else do we got for opportunities, guys? I think the big thing right now, which the market's really pricing in quite strongly, pre-market here, uh, as we talk on Monday, a potentially slowed Fed really due to the volatility we've seen in the financial sector and all the, the bank failures with you know Signature, SVB, and Silvergate, potentially spelling literally the end of rate hikes, um, which is why the meeting today will be 
so telling because I'd expect an announcement one way or another of what kind of future plans are here. The market, as as I speak right now, pressing in just a single hike moving forward, um, as opposed to four hikes, literally Wednesday last week, we we're still pricing in four additional hikes. So it's a significant move. And looking at actual yields on treasuries, you know, the two years down about 40 basis points this morning, while the 10 years down 18 basis points and the 30 year down nine, and I believe the two year was down 44 basis points the last two days of last week. So we're talking almost a full percent move, which is very sharp. And if you look at inversion, you know, the 10 year minus the three month is now it's still inverted. We're, we're 1.14% inverted, but that's off the low of 140. The 10 year minus the two year now just 67 basis points inverted off of 110 basis points last week. So we're starting to see that inversion really weaken. Again, we're still inverted and it's probably still going to take a little bit of time, but we're seeing that condition improve. The other thing I, I would note, you know, we've seen corporate bond spreads starting to rise as the market risk increases, but that spread increase really hasn't kept pace with the sharp drop in treasuries. So in the end, what that really means is a lower cost of capital for companies today, which might feel a bit backwards, but that move has been so sharp and the spreads haven't kept up with it that the net result is cheaper money. And the last thing I'll point here is in 2008, the day I believe Lehman announced their bankruptcy on a Monday, when the market was down pretty sharply that day. But the four days following that, the market was up 5.25%. Although the market didn't bottom until March of 2009, but the Fed's seemingly way more active today than they were back in 2008, and they've got a lot more tools available at their disposal. This could be a quicker turnaround here. The other things I'll note, just Fed announcements over the weekend, and all the depositors at those banks are going to be made whole, even though the FDIC technically only covers the first $250,000, and then allowing banks to use the face value of government bonds, which you know, if you've got a 30-year bond, you know that's decreased in value as as yields have moved here, not this week, but the broader move up from you know a two percent yield up to you know I think a four or so um, for the thirty year. That decreases the value of those bonds, but the Fed is going to allow banks to take loans against that. That's a full face value, which is a big boost for the banks because they don't have to sell those bonds at a loss technically, which keeps all their you know credit ratios more in line. Yeah, and we'll go into kind of some of that SVB adjacent information later on when we talk about threats, but. One thing now, too, there's obviously the concern of contagion in the banking sector, and like I said, we'll we'll get to that, but there might be some opportunities, again, a little later on after the dust kind of settles here, of maybe taking a swing at some of those larger banks that have really been beaten down. Um, when you look at kind of the capital bases of those larger commercial banks as opposed to something like SVB, um, SVB really was an outlier as far as their loan-to-deposit ratios and just their risk management practices. You know, you have major, major banks that have really been getting beaten down in somewhat of a, what I like to call kind of a guilty-by-association trade. Not saying that a sell-off maybe isn't potentially warranted, given how some banks are set up right now and what losses might look like in their bond portfolios, but it could spell opportunities on the other side of this where you're able to pick up some potentially quality companies at, at really good prices. So we'll, we'll see. What we're seeing is that the 60-40 portfolio is not actually dead. I know a big headline last year was that 60-40 is dead. There's no place for something like this. Last year, it had one of its worst years ever. It was down roughly 17%, and many people were outspoken about how bad this style of investing was. But instead of worrying about last year's returns, we should look ahead to the purpose of having a 60-40 and that it's an overall diversified portfolio with both upside and stability. So, so far this year, as of March 9th, the S&P has returned roughly under 1%, while a mix of 60% total market index and 40% total bond index is roughly 1.4%. So these are similar returns, but the 
the thing here is that volatility for the S&P 500 has been more along the lines of 18%, while 60-40 has had volatility of just under 11%. And I know volatility is not the end-all, be-all measurement of risk, but it shows that is the 60-40 is doing its job of minimizing this, this variance. And it's a small sample size to start the year, but it's proving that diversification allows for risk averse investors to stay long-term investors through both the ups and the downs. Last thing I'll add in opportunities here, and then we kind of want to get into a couple things with threats. You know, we're maybe sounding like broken records here, but the continuing to have an emphasis on quality and profitability, that's kind of one of our themes that we talk about as as an investment team uh, right now, given the current environment, is that a stronger emphasis on quality companies who are profitable and are generating cash flows and have strong balance sheets, something that's very important right now. Um, even particularly, you know, we've talked about small caps a lot too, but really taking that quality and profitability emphasis and focusing on that in small caps as well. You have a lot of companies in the Russell 2000 who actually don't make money. So if you can really have that quality and profitability lens with which you're looking at small caps, there are opportunities to find some some really good companies there that have uh, longer runways to, to go here going forward. So with that being said, guys, let's get into threats. The first place we could start here is the this Bloomberg recession uh, probability model, which is based on uh, you know two years and 10 years now at all-time highs. As of the time we kind of gathered data here, that's no longer the case with the way yields have moved today. We're pricing in about a 70% probability of a uh, recession here, which is a level higher than we saw in the 2008 crisis, higher than we saw with the dot-com bubble. The chart's really telling, frankly, at this point, that we're it'd be tough to avoid some form of a recession. What that means as far as duration, or severity doesn't really indicate that, just that something is coming and perhaps we're starting to live through some of the ripple effects of that literally today. Generally speaking, too, I think we've had a, a complacency um, towards risk. You know, the, the equity risk premium has been quite low, um, as we mentioned earlier, as yields have moved higher, but you know, valuations have kind of held, held here at a fairly elevated level and forward earnings estimates haven't really come down as much as I think we expected as a committee. That's, um, that's been the really interesting part is that typically when you're starting to see a slowdown, you start to see those earnings estimates kind of tumble a little bit, but for the most part, they've been, they've been pretty strong. It's been more resilient than we thought, but I'd also point out that I think we still have a ways to go here. We've only made it through really Q4 earnings. Q1 earnings will probably start in earnest mid-April and then really get into it early May. I think that's going to be the true tell of what 2023 holds for us. Yeah, maybe that speaks to investor psychology as well. I feel like people have been used to things moving so fast the past few years that anything that doesn't seem to play out in a week feels like it's taken a lot longer. But that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier is that maybe you're set up for more of a slow grind here going forward as the economy doesn't just come to a complete halt, but you kind of just have more of this steady grind and a steady slowdown where rates are a little elevated and companies kind of just gradually reprice here. So we'll see. Sure. The other thing I point out on, on kind of that, uh, you know, probability of recession is that the U.S. manufacturing production is contracting at about 1.9% annualized, which is a level you typically don't see unless a recession is on the horizon. So with that historic imbalance between incoming new orders and existing inventories, the you know, future direction of manufacturing production doesn't look great. To that point, we do have some, like, you know, some uh, data points coming out this week, which will, you know, provide a little bit more clarity on that as well. But uh, certainly something to watch as we go forward. We're running a little long, but I think it is pretty important to at least touch on it for a little bit here, and that's and that's SVB. Obviously, the threat 
like we said, is further contagion within the banking sector. But I think it's important to understand the underlying makeup and kind of what led SVB to blow up in a sense. I think that the biggest issue here is really risk management. You know, the big draw or a big draw to SVB had been, you know, they paid a higher deposit rate um, than most banks, which just by necessity in a, in a low or a zero rate environment required them to go purchase duration. And, and you know, duration is really just think of it as you know, price sensitivity to yield changes, right? So, you know, if, if the three-month yield is 0%, like we were living with for quite a while, but they wanted to pay investors a 1% yield, they had to go out, you know, sometimes 10, 20 years out on the, on the treasury the curve. curve. Yeah, to be able to stay profitable. The problem with that, though, is it creates what you call a duration mismatch, which means, you know, deposits have zero sensitivity to rates. You know, if you put $1,000 in the bank, the bank owes you $1,000. If rates go from 0% to 5%, they still owe you $1,000. That doesn't change. The problem that SVB ran into is that when rates went from 0% to 5%, the value of those long-duration treasuries, and I think they had some mortgage-backed securities in there as well, collapsed um, just because you've got a bond paying 2%, but the market's now at 5 so the value of that comes down. So even though it's what you call a default risk-free bond, it's not a price risk-free bond, right? So government security, you're going to get paid, but you're going to get paid what you agreed to at the time, right? And the value of that contract fell significantly as, as rates continued to, to climb here. And on the mortgage-backed securities that they held, you know, the duration of those tend to um, increase um, as yields rise, because you know, let's think about it in a, in a more personal sense. If you've got a 3% mortgage right now, which you know, many of our listeners probably do, you're not going to rush out and go refinance that at 6.5% today. So the same thing with a mortgage-backed security. They're not seeing people paying off their bonds early, so they're just happy to live in that 3% world. So that duration naturally continues to increase, which means the value of that mortgage-backed security also falls. And then the last thing on that is, you know, that by nature, um, these venture capital companies that they tended to bank are cash burners. You know, they're, they're companies in the in the you know the incubating phase, if you will, who are you know sometimes even pre-revenue, frankly, right? They're just trying to build a product. And that's all fine and good when you're seeing VC deposits continually coming in when we are in this lower zero rate environment because the deposits could offset kind of the withdrawals that were naturally occurring. The problem started really when rates started to go up, you know, those deposits dried up. So you're just having withdrawals. So that changes a lot of the credit ratios and, and balance sheet issues. And then the last thing, really on a risk basis, there's plenty of opportunity. The Fed's been incredibly clear for a couple of years at this point that rates were going up. So if you're a risk manager of a bank, your job should be to reduce duration as much as possible because you know the value of duration is going to cause you a big hit, and they didn't do it. A lot of asset and liability mismatching there. Put it simply, right, they went out and bought a bunch of longer-dated bonds, and then you had one of the worst years for longer-dated bonds ever. People asking for their money back. They don't have as much capital on hand, and they're, uh, you know, the tide goes out, and you're seeing who's swimming naked is kind of what's going on right now. We'll see what continues to happen, wrapping it up before we go around the horn here. The threat, obviously, is how much does fear really take a hold of investors and kind of depositors in general? I think a lot of banks are pretty well capitalized, but you, I think you do have some bad actors in the space who 
were essentially, I mean, over the weekend, if you're on Twitter and just on the internet and seeing what people are saying, you have people who are calling for more bank runs in the hope that their banks are going to get bailed out so that their portfolios are okay. And I just think that that's quite dangerous, especially with people of influence making those types of calls and making those types of claims, because fear is quite powerful. Um, so the threat obviously is further contagion, but we'll see right now. Again, most of these commercial banks, that's why we have stress tests in the system. That's why banks have to be capitalized the way they do. So we'll, we'll see how things play out here, but let's go around the horn here. The continued strength of inflation and commodities. What's our headline weakness? Valuations continue to be high and the equity risk premium continues to be low. What's our headline opportunity? The rapid decline in interest rates really being a boon to the 60-40 portfolio. And I'll take our headline thread here. I think that would be continued central bank tightening, that continuing to break things within the system. We've seen it already kind of start to take hold with things like SVB, Signature Bank, and whatnot. The threat there is obviously that things continue to break even more. Ken Bellinger, Senior Trader, thank you. Thank you. Nick Hellstrom, Trader at Annex Wealth Management, thank you. Thank you. Trevor Nargis, Senior Trader, thanks. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, Episode 42, Monday, March 13th. Thanks for listening. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.